Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. If you have your Bibles and want to take them and turn with me to Genesis 28, that would be good. That's where we're going to look at today, just that verse, those verses, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. And uh, glad everyone of you are out here in a part. When I, uh, as many of you know, I, I have a friend that has a, a, an airplane, and every so often, um, he and I go somewhere. And when I fly with Mark in his airplane, it, it's interesting. We take off and we will we'll be up and we're going and we'll be flying. And sometimes it's a short distance, sometimes long. But sometimes on the longer flights, especially, Mark will go, here, you take the controls for a little bit. Let me give them to you, which is not a big deal. It's going to stay up in the airplane's meant to fly. And he's exp- showing me enough things. But what he does is he tells me, okay, now, you need to stay on certain heading, and, and it's locked into several GPSs that are on the plane as well as the compass. And, uh, you know, he'll tell me, he says, you know, you need to keep the nose of the plane right on this, and, you know, and, and, and I'm locked into that. I, I watch what he's doing. I'm, I'm really focused because I want to make sure it stays. And so, you know, it's not really big changes, but there's pressure adjustments all the time, and the plane wants to drift one way, and you press a little bit, and it comes back in line, and, and you try to keep it as close to that as you can, to the very center of the heading that you're on. And, and so when you're flying along, you make several adjustments as you go. And um, every once in a while, you know, you're in the middle of something and, and then the radio tower will radio in and they'll say, uh, you need to change your heading too. And they'll give you a whole new heading. And, and sometimes those are big changes and the plane turns and you bank over and you go over to get to where you're going and then, you know, back on track and then you follow that heading and then they'll tell you to turn again. And and that's how you, you fly. Flying is a series of adjustments. It's constantly uh, adjusting. It's constantly making sure that you're staying level, making sure you're staying on course. I have another friend named Dan Heinecker. A lot of you guys know Dan. He was the head of the campgrounds. He kind of took over, ran, or he was the maintenance guy at the campgrounds for a long time. Great guy. Dan, Dan was also a pilot. And uh, Dan never got his instrument rating. He was just a, a VFR pilot and flew by vision. And uh, he told me one day he decided to fly. I forget was out in Kansas somewhere, and he was going to fly like from Kansas City to Wichita or something like that. And he was he took off and he was flying, and and he said, you know, I, I thought I was on course. And he said, I I I I really thought I was on course, and I kept flying and flying and flying. I, I thought I was on course. And he said, but after a while, I, I started noticing I'm running out of fuel. So he started radioing is there you know where 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 am I at and they began to tell him he found uh, an airport and he finally landed and when he landed somehow with the wind not paying enough attention without making the right adjustments he was like 150 miles off course you know when you're flying a long distance when you're going somewhere like I've flown from here to Kansas City with Mark and I've flown from here to this uh, to the east coast to to the uh to uh like down around uh I don't know, Wilmington, in that area with Mark and his airplane before. And when you're flying a long distance, if you're off just a little bit on the compass, after a while that measures out to miles. 
You have to make adjustments. You have to make adjustments or you'll end up missing the place you're going to. That's true in all of our lives as well. We have to make adjustments in our lives as we proceed and go in life. If we aren't making adjustments as we go, we're going to be in trouble. A lot of people get real rigid about certain things. They, they tighten up and they get real rigid and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to live my life. It's going to look like this. They don't make adjustments and they find that they're off after a while. They're missing the place that they really want to be. Marriages, that happens a lot of times in our marriages. If we're not careful, we don't want to make adjustments. We just rigidly hang on to our ideas and, and we miss the point. It's the season, the time of year in our church that we call Lent. Lent is uh, 40 days from Ash Wednesday, which was last Wednesday, until Easter. And it's those 40 days uh, that we celebrate and call Lent between there that, that are a reminder of Jesus' days, of being in the wilderness for 40 days where he went to fast and to pray and to make adjustments. That's what he was doing. He was making adjustments. And, and so I'm starting our Lent series, and I'm going to call it Adjust. Because every one of you sitting here today need to make some adjustments in your life, I promise you. You may be sitting there right now saying, well, not me. Then you're the one who really this is for. Because yes, you do. You need to adjust that thinking right there to start with. Because all of us have things in our lives that we need to adjust. Places we need to make some adjustments to if we're going to be what God wants us to be. So to adjust means to shift. It means to turn. It needs to move it so that it works better and more efficiently. And so in our lives, there are times we need to look at things like who we are, where we are, what we've become, why we're here. And there are times like this that we need to make an adjustment so that we can achieve our goals and purpose and become the people that we were created to be. And Lent is just one of those natural times for us to make these adjustments. And so I think this can be really good. So these sermons will be from the Bible. They'll be from the stories of the Bible and about characters in the Bible. And they'll take us to a place where we need to make a tweak in our lives, a slight adjustment, maybe an alteration. Or it may take you to a place where you just have to do a complete redo. Man, I need to start over. I have been there many times in my life where I needed to do a complete redo because something just wasn't working. So I want to look today in the book of Genesis, and I, I want to take especially a, day, a look today at the life of Jacob. In fact, the next, three, uh, next two weeks will also be in the life of Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Sometimes we don't think about that and put that together, but, but that's who he is. He is the grandson of Abraham. And you know that Jacob has been raised by his father Isaac, who is Abraham's son. And you know that he has been raised by Isaac sitting around the fire at night hearing the stories of what took place with his grandfather, Abraham. You just know he has. He's been fed those stories. He's heard those stories. He's been thrilled by these stories. He sat around and he heard the stories from Abraham and Sarah. And he heard about the call that Abraham received to, to leave his father and mother and to go to the land where they live at. He, he heard about, no doubt, and how would you like to have Isaac tell you the story that's who Jacob heard this from. He heard it from Isaac. How would you like to hear the story of how dad took me out to the mountain, tied me up, and was going to sacrifice me? I mean, I, that's got to be one of the top 10 favorites right there, I would imagine. Or how about this one? Uncle Lot and his wife were in Sodom and Gomorrah, and I, we were escaping, and I told them not to look back, and, and 
Well, your aunt did, and she's a pillar of salt now. These are the stories that he heard and grew up on. And you would think that as the direct and very close dependent of this patriarch of, of, of the faith, that as he listened to his father and maybe his grandfather, I don't know if Abraham lived long enough for him to really know Jacob and Esau or not, but if, if he did, then from him as well. But as they listened to their father tell these stories, you've got to believe that somehow spiritually, those things begin to connect to their hearts. And they would be, you would think that they would be spiritually on track, that they would understand and be spiritually on track without a doubt, righteous men. But you would be wrong to assume that. Jacob is proof that God has no grandchildren. Think about that one for a minute. God has no grandchildren. There's only children. Everybody has to make the choice themselves. Jacob had to make this choice himself. There's none of us who get grandfathered in or get brought in as grandchildren. We are God's children. He's proof that we have to choose whether to follow a life of faith or not. Now, Jacob is the twin brother of a man named Esau. Esau was born first and then Jacob. And that means that Esau was by birthright and by birth order, the one to receive the birthright and the blessing of his father, Isaac. That's how it was supposed to go. That's how it always had been. And that's the way it was supposed to be. And and you have to know that something's up because the Bible says that when these two were in the womb, when they were in their mother's womb, in Rebecca's womb, that they wrestled with each other. You know, I I don't know what that would feel like. I have no idea. I've never been pregnant, so I don't even know what one, but, but two of them wrestling each other had to have been just a lot of fun for, for Rebecca. The Bible says that Jacob, when he came out second, was coming out grasping a hold of the heel of Esau, like trying to stop him so he could get ahead of him and beat him out. The, the two brothers could probably not have been any different than what they were. They, Esau, who was born first, was large and and, and the Bible says that he was a hairy man, that he loved to go outside and he loved to hunt. And, and, and you know, he, he didn't need a shirt. He had a carpet already. He just took with him all the time. Jacob was his mother's son and he liked the indoors and he, he liked hanging out with her and, and cooking food and being around. And he says, the Bible says that he was smooth skinned and, and that he was smaller. Jacob was a manipulator. He was a deceiver. In fact, that's what the name Jacob actually means, deceiver. Jacob was able to manipulate people into what he wanted them to do. He was really good at this. He managed to get his older brother to sell him his birthright. His older brother was hungry. He'd been out hunting all day. He comes in. He's hungry. He says, can I have some of the soup you've been cooking, the lentils over there? And and Jacob said, absolutely, trade you a pot of lentils for your birthright. And he was hungry and he traded. He managed to steal the blessing of his father that was right, rightfully Esau's. He, he, he tricked his father who was blind at that point into believing he was Esau and he blessed him. So Jacob has taken everything that belonged right, rights to Esau. And Esau, the Bible says, was consoling himself by waiting on his father to die because after his father died, the Bible says he planned on killing Jacob. That's what he was going to do, get everything back. He was going to kill his brother. So Jacob hears this from his mother, and he does the expedient thing, and he loads up and leaves. And he goes 
to his uncle Laban's, Laban's house. On the way to his uncle Laban's house, Jacob spends the night in the middle of nowhere. He goes into the desert. The way there is across a desert place. Now, you have to understand this. Jacob takes no bed with him. He has no bedroll, it doesn't sound like. He has no pillow. He has no tent. He is not prepared. He doesn't have all the camping gear. He doesn't have Amazon.com to call and get any camping gear. So he has nothing to take with him. And so he goes and he comes to a place where the sun has gone down. He's out in the desert. It's dark. He can't see where he's going. It's the best thing he can do is just stop right here. So he takes a stone from the place where he's at. He doesn't know where he's at. He's in the middle of the desert. He takes a stone from that place and he makes it a pillow and he goes to sleep. And that's where we pick it up. Genesis chapter 28 verses 10 through 22. And let me read that for you. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be my God's house and all that, I, all that you give me I will give you a tenth. So Jacob has this incredible encounter with God Almighty. And the Bible says he was afraid and afraid there as the same word as fearing God in Proverbs. He's, he, he has a proper respect for who God is. Stop with me for a moment. Go back several chapters in Genesis and, and remember the promises that were made to Abraham. The promises were this, that his offspring would be given this land, that they would be more numerous than the stars, that his offspring would bless the whole world, that it would all be from him. If you think about it, though, Abraham has one son. His name is Isaac. That's who we're talking about here. He has one son. And Isaac has two. He has two grandsons. So, so far in two generations, instead of having offspring that are numerous as the stars, Abraham has a son and two grandsons. He's not doing real well with the whole, you're going to look like the stars offspring thing. So in two generations, he's produced Two grandsons, a son and two grandsons. So if God's going to keep this promise, though, here's the point that I want to make out of that. If God is going to keep the promise he made to Abraham, then the blessing has to flow through Esau or Jacob because they're the line. 
that he is producing. And since the blessing of Abraham had been passed on to Isaac by Abraham, and then on to Jacob by Isaac because of this deception, God is going to use Jacob, the manipulator, to bring the blessing he gave to Abraham to the world. It's kind of incredible. I think that sometimes we think that everything has to be perfect, that we can't have messed up at all, that we've got to be perfect people if God's going to use us. I always want to say to you, I don't believe that's true, that God sometimes will use you in spite of yourself. And oftentimes will use you even if you've messed up, because if he only used perfect people, then no one would be available. So God appears to Jacob in the desert and at this encounter and God promises Jacob the same thing he promised Abraham. His descendants would be as numerous as the stars or the dust. All the people on earth would be blessed by Jacob's offspring. The Lord promised he'd always be with Jacob. That's that's his promise. I'm always going to be there. He promised to never leave him until he had done what he promised. It was a high and holy moment. Any of you ever have a high and holy moment where you felt like God just spoke to your heart, where you knew that you knew that you knew that you had met with the Lord? And it's a high and a holy moment. That's what this was. It was a total confirmation of the blessing of Isaac to Jacob. And Jacob recognizes that God is in this place and he's filled with awe and he's filled with wonder. And Jacob takes his pillow, this stone, and he sets it up and he pours oil on it and declares this place is called Bethel. And then God, and then he made God big promises. And he said, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, I'm taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And it's a big deal. He's making this big deal. And then he says, this stone, I'm setting it here as a pillar, that this is what it'll be. And this is where it's going to be. And it's called Bethel. And you need to remember that. In a couple of weeks, we're going to come back to Bethel. But right there, he's there. It's in Bethel. He's got his stone. That is the declaration of the promise that God made and the promises that he made. It's an Ebenezer. It's an altar. It's a place where he pours over there. Have you ever had a place where you set up an altar or an Ebenezer and said, God met me here and you're reminded every time you come by there, this is where God met me. We need to set some of those up in our lives. Uh, We'll talk about that in a few weeks. (coughs) It's a big promise. Jacob gets up and he continues on his journey and gets to his uncle's house. And and, and one thing you need to notice about Jacob's journey is this. He travels with nothing. This is also part of what I'm going to talk about some other point. He literally has no clothes on his anything but the clothes on his back. He's alone. He has no food. He has no shelter. I don't think this is coincidental for him to be traveling this barren without anything in his life. But I want to ask you a question because I think it's worth thinking about. Have you ever wondered in your life why God would send Jacob out alone? Because I want you to think about something. Jacob is the blessing. The blessing of God to this world is going to go through Jacob. I mean, if he's out there that night and he's asleep and a lion who is hungry comes along and eats him, it's over. It's all done. So why would he do that? Or or let me ask you another one. Why would God call Abram out of the land of his father and send him where he had no one and knew no one? Why would he do that? Why in the world, when it seems like he has everything all set up at home and everything is great, why wouldn't he just do it there? Because it makes so much more sense. Or, Or why would he send Jesus out into the desert for 40 days alone? Why would he send Jacob out into a desert? Why would he send Joseph and Mary on a journey from their hometown of Nazareth to Bethlehem? 
when Jesus is about to be born? You ever, you ever thought about those kind of questions? I mean, maybe not, but I do because I'm supposed to and, and, and it helps me and I think about these things and it really starts to speak to my heart because I find one common denominator in all these scenarios. And it's this, that we're, and I think that this is where I think that, that the adjustment might be for them and for us that I want to talk about for just a moment. I believe that God simply put them in a place where there was no distractions. He took them to a place where there were no distractions. He sent them out so they could have an encounter with Him. He put them in a place where they had to rely on Him. There had to be total reliance at that point. They didn't have anything else. He put them in a place where it was so quiet they could hear Him speak. He put them in a place where they had nothing so they would have to be fully dependent on him. I believe that God knows how distracting life can become. Anybody here ever find life pretty distracting at times? A lot. I believe God still desires to have encounters with each one of us. That right now God still speaks and he still wants to speak to you and me. And I am not being weird and that is not odd. That is biblical and that is truth. That God still speaks and he wants to speak to every one of us. He has plans to speak to every one of you here today. He wants to talk to you. He wants to encounter you. He wants a real and personal moment with each one of us. But here's my question. Just how often... Do you really allow yourself to be alone? I mean, really alone. How often do you really allow yourself to just be alone? We get out of bed, and, and if you're like most of us, you get out of bed, you turn on the TV, check the latest scores, see if the, the world's still going on outside of here, if, if there's any new viruses out there or anything else, you're checking everything to make sure what's going on in the world. Then you uh, check your phone. Anybody do that? Get on there, make sure your emails, and maybe check Facebook, see if there's any cute cat pictures going on or anything like that. And then you got to get breakfast for the kids and you're running around getting that all taken care of. Make sure that you got that done and making sure that you got breakfast for the kids. Got their homework done. Make sure that you got your homework. Everybody got your homework. Got your lunch. Who's picking up whom tonight? Who's taking care of this? I got to hurry. I got to get over. I got to go buy gas because I'm running out of gas. Didn't have time last night. I got to get to the gas station because I can't make it to work on what I got. It's going to take some time. Hurry up. Out the door into the car. Fast drive to the school. See you tonight. Traffic snarl as we go through town to work. The whole time the radio's blaring, talk radio, sports or politics, you get to work and it just takes off from there. I don't even have a clue what to say there. And eight hours later, a traffic snarl, drive back to your school, watch the game, back home, homework, kids fussy, dinner out of a box of pizza, time for bed. And you get up and start it again in the mornings. It's something like that in everybody's life. It may not be kids anymore, but it's something and it's always busy. You always think when the kids are out of the house, it won't be like that, but it still is. See, I believe that the pursuit of work, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of entertainment, the pursuit of making everyone happy, the pursuit of trying to belong and fit in, the pursuit of even friendship can become so pressure-filled and so noisy that we just have no time for God. That we just set him over here on the side and say, one of these days we'll get to you. But in the meantime, I've got just so many things that I have to get done. And it's just too noisy and too loud to really hear from God. And I think it's always been that way. I don't care if it was a time like when Abraham was on earth and there was not that much and it wasn't that busy and you kind of think, oh, it must have been quieter for them. I don't think so. I think Abraham had filled up his life with stuff just like we do. 
And so God sent these and so many others into the desert. He sent them there to get them into a place that they could hear from him. God wants us to get to a place where we can hear what he's saying. The desert isn't always a place. It can be something else. The desert, it's always a desert, but it isn't always a place. Sometimes it's an illness. I'm not saying God causes illnesses, but I'm going to tell you that when you're in the middle of it, sometimes he wants it to be there so that you can hear him. He will take advantage of that moment to speak to you in the quiet and in the misery of that place. It can be depression. In the middle of depression, God does not cause depression, but in the middle of your depression, when it's quiet, no one else is around and you don't know what else to do and all the voices are screaming, if you'll listen, the quiet voice of God sometimes will speak loudly in the middle of that. It can be in the middle of a job loss. It can be in the middle of a marriage crisis. It can be in the middle of any number of things. It's always a place where when you are alone and the noise and the business ends, you have to come to a place of dependency upon God. And, and you know what? That's, that's often the times when we finally get there because so often we just figure it out for ourselves. Oh, I've just got to do this myself. I, I, I'll just do this. I mean, God, God wants me to have it. I know he does. And so I'll just figure it out for myself. See, Abraham was a rich guy with everything. He was Abram at the time, and he was a rich guy with everything. Jacob was so busy trying to gain the advantage, neither one of them had time to listen to God. They were too busy with all the stuff, all the things of life. Joseph and Mary, I, I, I love this one. Joseph and Mary were just kids, but, but they were living in a village, and they had family all around them. How many of you think that mama... Mary's mama and grandma, who were alive there probably, were going to let them raise the child the way they saw fit if they were there by themselves. Not a chance. Not a chance. And everybody was going to be over, and everybody was going to tell them how to do it, and everybody was going to say, this is what you need, this is what you need, this is what you need. And their total dependency would have been upon the family and not upon God. Jesus was surrounded by family. A lot of times we forget about this. I mean, you know, we just think of him as Jesus. But, you know, Jesus did the first 33 years in family, in the village, with family. He was a carpenter's son and probably himself a carpenter. And he worked and he did whatever. And every night he came home and he ate dinner at home. He got up in the morning and he ate breakfast with his family. He participated in village life. It was comfortable. And it kept him busy. And it probably was distracting. So they didn't have to think much about what was going to happen next. It was meaningful and purposeful life, but it was not what he was here for. See, every one of these people needed to go to the desert to hear what God was telling them and to find out what God wanted from them. They needed to get away from the things that distracted them so they could go to the place where they knew God and could know God, not just about God. See, I think that's the problem. A lot of us come to church and we know a lot about God. I can tell you things about God. I can tell you, read the Bible, and in the Bible you will find out about God. We can listen to preachers all over and they can tell you about God and you can learn about God. But I want to know more than just about God. I want to know God. I need to know God and so do you. You need to have a relationship with Him. And you know what? I knew Darcy back in college when I met her. I, I knew who she was. She was the girl with the long blonde hair and the beautiful blue eyes. It was so cute, but she was dating another guy. So I knew her. I knew about her. But then later on, when I started dating her and married her, 
I know her. We have a relationship. It's intimate. We're close. I know way more than just about her. I need to be that way with God. I need to know Him personally. I need to know what makes Him happy. I need to know what makes Him sad. I need to know that uh, how to be obedient to Him and how to love Him. And, and I need to know how to receive all that from Him. See, Jesus wasn't just on this earth so that we could know about Him. And so we need to get away from the things that distract us so that, that we can know God, not just about God. And I'm wondering if maybe that's the adjustment. Maybe that's the adjustment right now that, is the pl- that, that, that we all need to come to the place where we need to come to know God personally, where we set aside purposefully things so that we can hear God speak. That maybe that's the adjustment we need to make this Lent season right now, this first Sunday, is we need to look at our lives and all the stuff that's going on and the roar that's in our ears all the time and say, I need to find a place where it can be quiet enough that I can hear. I need to set aside some things so that I can hear what God is saying. I need to get to a place where I can set aside, purposefully set aside things so I can hear God speak. I need to maybe say, okay, I'm going to pull back a little bit at work or maybe in my parenting, I'm going to tell the kids I'm going to find a place. You know, Mrs. Wesley, John Wesley's mother, there were like 17, 18 kids in that family. And most of the time, Wesley's dad was, he was a pastor and and spent a lot of time away from home. There was, uh, it wasn't marital bliss necessarily in their, their home. So with 18 kids, you would expect a, a massive uproar of noise and, and all that. And, and yet there was a place and a time in Susanna Wesley's life every day where she would sit down on her stool, take her apron, pull it up over her head, and the kids knew it's time for mom to be alone with the Lord. We need to be quiet. And she found quiet and solitude. Now, I'm not suggesting that you put your head under a blanket because most of your kids would burn the house down. I get that. <clears throat> I really do. I had two boys and they would have, and I, I'm joining you in that. But I am suggesting that you find a place like Susanna did of quiet so that she could hear from the Lord. Maybe, maybe we need to find a quiet retreat for just a day and go away by ourselves and say, God, I need to talk to you. Maybe some of us just need to do that. You're not going to get it any other way. And you need to set aside the place, and find somebody to let you use their cabin in the woods or go to a hotel room and just sit and hear God. Or maybe you need to set aside entertainment for a time every day or a day every week and say, I'm going to use that time because I want to hear purposefully from God. You just need to get into a desert place where no one can find you, where God can speak and you can hear. Maybe we just need to say no to a friend for a while and use that time. I don't know. I know that a lot of people are going through things that are painful and hurtful and unpleasant. I know that some of you have stuff at work that is very difficult right now. I know that some of you are having things in your marriages that are very difficult right now. I know some of you have kids who who just clamor for your attention. I know there's some of you that financially, there's just a lot of stuff happening in your life. And, And the reality is, is that in most of our lives, and I'm including myself in this, we use entertainment and friendships and work and food and drugs and alcohol the same way to satisfy, fill up our hearts and minds when we are hurting. And, and I'm not telling you that, that friends 
and, and, and drugs are on the same level because I don't think that, that an addiction to friends is the same thing as an addiction to drugs, but I am telling you that we can medicate with many different things. It's not just one. I, I know people that have told me, they said, everything's going to be okay. I have another Amazon box on the way. And we all laugh because we understand that. But you know, the reality is, is that that can also be a distraction, buying stuff, getting more things. And maybe it's just time for us to realize that God wants us to use this time to speak tenderly and lovingly to all of us. That God is not a God. And see, that's the other thing. I think a lot of people are afraid that if I get quiet, God's going to come down here and he's going to clobber me over the head and say, you got to go to China and solve the coronavirus. You know, and that's not how God works. And that's not what he's going to do. What, what God wants to do is to speak tenderly and lovingly over you and tell you how much he loves you and bring you into his presence and say, hey, you know what? I want to hang out. I want to be with you. Maybe it's time to just make an adjustment in our lives and set aside all the clamor and noise so we can hear God say, come away with me. You know, time after time in Jesus' life, after he got back from the desert, he called his 12 men and got them all involved and he had thousands who followed him. And time after time, Jesus would slip away and find a quiet place where he could talk to his father. And if Jesus needed to do that, then I think maybe I need to do that. See, God wanted to be the source of life for Abraham, Jacob, for Mary, Joseph, for all of them. And God wants to be the source of life for you and me as well. And all the other stuff is just counterfeit pleasure. It's just things that fill in for what really matters. It makes you feel good for the moment, but God is the only real source of pleasure. You know, I love to eat some good old chocolate. This week I was at a, I went to a, I went to a place in Michigan, a new Buffalo, Michigan. I went up there and stayed with some pastor friends. And we went to the roadhouse place down the road and I ate ribs. And afterwards, we always get dessert. And I didn't this time. Uh, I didn't eat that. I ate something else. But anyway, uh, they have this big old chocolate thing. I don't even know what you call it. I ate it all one time. I have never been so buzzed by sugar in my life. It is the biggest ball of chocolate and ice cream and you name it it's all put in there and I'm sitting there and I'm eating it and you know at the time when it was going in man I was feeling good and I was laughing in this fun you know and, and later on I felt sick <laughs> I couldn't sleep that night that was miserable as I could be it was barbecue and chocolate you know those are not a good combination I've come to that conclusion and, and you know and I just didn't feel real good you know, when you're doing these things, it's counterfeit pleasure. It feels good going in. You like what it does for you. You don't like what it does to you. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's what this is about. And, and, you know, all these things that we do, all the busyness, all the stuff at the time, boy, makes me feel good. Everybody thinks I'm important. I'm running around here. I'm so busy. I've got so much to do. I bet everybody thinks I'm really great. And, and I feel real good about myself until... I'm alone and it's still quiet and I haven't changed anything. And that goes away. And I'm sitting there going, man, that didn't satisfy. Makes you feel good for the moment. You like what it does for you, but not what it does to you. See, in the long run of things, God has called me. He's called all of us to run a race we call life. And what I've learned is this, that at the end of the run that I call life, the reward isn't a bigger church. 
don't know if you get that or not, because that's for me. The reward isn't a million dollars. It's not a bigger house. The reward isn't even grandkids. Oh, by the way, this week I, I got to sit and hold Jameson. I was feeding him a bottle. Had their cat sitting over here and Ellie sitting on my lap. We watched, what was that called? Lion, it's something from Lion King. Lion Guard. Anybody watch Lion Guard on Disney Channel? Man, I'll tell you what. Don't get much better than that. But that's not the reward. I know. There used to be a day that that would have been like, what in the world? But, you know, that's big now. So, you know, anyway. But that, that's not the reward. It's not even a new motorcycle. <laughs> None of those things. The end, the prize is getting to the gates of heaven. And as I enter into the gates of heaven, a righteous, holy God standing there, and I'm perfectly at ease with him because we are intimate friends already. And I just walk in and he goes, wow, so cool, you're here. The prize is that I have been crucified with Christ and so I now live with Christ forever. So just to make sure you're clear on this, I'm not saying set your family aside and get rid of them. That is not what I said. Anybody that says that, you, that don't put that on Facebook, please. No, I did not say no entertainment. I fully plan on entertaining myself with some things this week. I, I believe I will. I'll probably turn on a baseball game or a football game or golf or something this week. I, it just happens because that's me. Basketball. That's the season right now. I, I did not say don't have fun. I plan on having some fun this week. Gets warm enough and dry enough and I'm going to get out the motorcycle. Kyle, it's going to be fun again. I, I did not tell you not to have friends. I'm not telling you that. You should have friends. I'm going to try to see friends this week. I am saying this, finding a way to set it all aside sometime during this week, daily, sometimes maybe for an extended period of time, go to your desert place, and be alone and hear from God. Let him speak into your heart. Find the place where you can have the encounters and the time with your father. Find the treasure place where he can speak to you, where you can hear from him. Well, this is Lent and it's those 40 days. And so you weren't here, most of you, for the uh, Ash Wednesday service because I think there was only eight of us who made it because of the weather. Carolyn Rex, you made it, and Danny made it, and I made it, and Darcy. I don't know, there weren't too many others here. So anyway, here's the deal. I had thrown out this idea that we together as a church need to do some significant soul searching about what God wants us to be and do individually and as a church. And so what I'm asking you to do is this for Lent. I, I would invite you to find something in your heart that you want to say, I I'll set that aside. I I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, just not because I want to brag, but just because I want you to know I'm, I'm not asking you to do something I won't do. Uh, okay, and I want you to do it for at least 21 days. Now, I know there's 40, but I'm giving you some days off because I know sometimes you mess up and you got to be, you know, and you misbehave and you, you go to the, restaurant and they got chocolate and you got to eat it i mean you know it just happens sometimes you know you're just you're just human and I, I, I accept that but 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 i'm saying for 21 days at least or 21 times someplace in there do something that you give up where you take some time and, and i don't want you to just give it up and say well i did it and that's all i want you to take some time and go find a quiet place and say okay god i want to hear from you i want you to talk to me i want you to guide me i i'm going to 
give up at least 21 meals during that time. I'm going to try to do more than that, but I'm going to give up at least 21. I think I can do that. And I'm going to use that time instead of eating, which is one of my guilty pleasures. You know, we all like to eat. I like to eat more than most of you. I'm, I really struggle with that sometimes, uh, making food an entertainment. It's not supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be nourishment. But I like entertainment food. And I'm going to set aside food for those times. And I'm going to find time and say, God, what do you want from me? How do I fit into this plan? I want to hear from you. I want to know you. I want to experience him. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. Father, that's our heart's cry now. I've done the best I know how to do today. I'm so thankful for your love. I'm so thankful that you call us away. Because when you call us away, you're calling us away to be with you. You're not just calling us away to go into a desert to be alone. You're calling us to be with you. It's like when your friends call you up on the phone and say, hey, you want to go do something? I'm so excited when someone calls me. You want to go play golf because they want to be with me. Or you're calling me and saying, would you go away with me? Would you go hang out with me? Would you come spend some time with me? Thank you, Jesus. May we do that this Lent season. May we make an adjustment in our lives. Help us, Lord, to become the people of God the way you see it, the way you want it. Love you, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you next week. We'll pick this up. We'll talk more about Jacob. We've got more things that he gets into.